Hi, everybody. I'm Tony and Marcolini. Welcome to the podcast. It may interest you to know. I'm very excited today to have uh, an old friend uh, and somebody who's got an exciting new pro project. Actor Chris Calicchio is here with me today. So welcome, Chris. Thank you so much, Tony. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm very excited to talk to you. Uh, and as I you, I mean, to me, it was really interesting because you've spent a lot of your career, I think, doing theater. Um, which is, a, I think, a, a really different vibe, right, to, to do that live performance up on the stage. Uh, and recently, you've gotten into a few projects that have and have been more film-oriented, you know, television and film-oriented. And I think what really caught my eye recently uh, is that you're, you're, you're in the, uh, the Netflix, uh, I just lost the network for a second, uh, the Netflix uh, docuseries, uh, on Bernie Madoff, uh, Monster of Wall Street. So I wanted to talk about a little, a little bit about the project, and I also wanted to talk about that transition for you from a heavy theater background to film. What was that like? Well, uh, the reality is, is that I've been actually uh, juggling between film and theater my entire life. Actually, I was a, a, a music teacher. And I always had the bug to be a um, a film actor and a, a stage actor. Um, and it was difficult to get into it in the beginning because I just didn't feel emotionally mature for it. And I also came from a conservative background, and this sounds so common, that my dad wanted me to uh, get a stable job so that I could have good financial security. So my life was one where I chose to get into a domestic life with my wife and, and raise kids and be there for them and to work as a music teacher, elementary school music teacher for 30 years. Um, and, you know, all along I had this, this, you know, this real, this really urge, a strong urge to be an actor. So here and there, I got an opportunity to do some stage work in community theater. I was Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors and Max and Lend Me a Tenor and, and Lombard and, and Ten Little Indians. And I, I did it wherever I could. And it was it, it was um, difficult to not, you know, dive into it. But um, it was a choice that I made. And so when I turned 50, I actually... Um, uh, threw a party and told everybody I was going to be an actor. And I started going uh, to HB Studio on the weekends and doing scene studies and uh, monologues. And eventually I got into auditioning in New York for commercials and uh, docudramas. And um, so I've worked my way from, I'm 64 now, I worked my way from being, um, you know, in HB Studio to, um, to a lot of auditions and and collecting my reels uh, for my website and presenting that to uh, directors from my online agencies uh, so that they could gain some credibility and be able to have opportunities to do television like I have in uh, uh, The Monster of Wall Street. So I don't know if that was clear to you, but... 
Sure. I mean, and honestly, I've had the opportunity to see you work firsthand, right? We worked together briefly on a project years ago. Yes. And uh, yes. I mean, you're an, an exceptional actor, right? And oh, I think I knew so it much. right away. Uh, right. As, as soon as I saw you start your, you know, your role uh, in, in that show, you were amazing. Uh, and I think everyone was taken back and you kind of brought the... Uh, the vibe up one notch, right? I think everybody tried to be better to match your level. Um, so I, I definitely was Thank impressed you. with you, right, as an actress. Um, and so I'm not terribly surprised, but let's talk a little bit about this new project that sure. you're in, uh, right? So Netflix is doing this docuseries. You have this amazing uh, filmmaker, uh, Berlinger, right, doing, uh, doing this, who's... Uh, accolades all around right uh and uh, tell me about like take me back to before you even start take me back to you get the phone call that you're in this what's that like oh it was amazing i mean you know these days it's funny you say phone call because that's what i always envisioned happening getting the phone call from joe berlinger but of course we're in a different world now technologically and, you know, people more commonly communicate with each other through email. So um, it, it, it was a nice moment. It was a beautiful moment for me uh, when, uh, you know, I, I got the invitation to play Peter Madoff in uh, uh, Madoff, The Monster of Wall Street on Netflix. Um, I, I had gotten previous emails for the, for me to send my headshots and my resume, and I had to do uh, an audition uh, to talk about myself. And so there were a number of different steps I had to go through before that. And um, I had no idea. I mean, I've been through this as many actors many times where you submit and you submit and you submit and they, you really think they're interested and then you don't get it. Uh, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. So I, I never really got my hopes up, but I was in, um, I happened to be, my wife and I needed a break because it was COVID and it, COVID was still, we were still coming out of um, COVID and I, we were in Mexico and I was on the beach, uh, we were in Cancun and I got the, the news and you know, I didn't get too excited because I thought, okay, now the moment that I've always dreamed about is here and I don't want to get too excited because I have a lot ahead of me. You know, there was an, uh, in two days we were going to be getting back and I was scheduled to come in for uh, uh, a costume fitting and I knew that I had to get all my wardrobe together and uh, I also knew that, you know, I had to gear myself mentally and emotionally and not act like a stupid little kid, you know, who's just, you know, uh, happy to not, be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was kind of like, you know, it, this is what the business really prepares you for is to just be calm about it. Take it a step at a time and know that it was ahead of you. Once everything was over, I screamed in my house, you know, once the, all the shoots were over and I knew that it was in the can, so to speak, I was very, um, very emotionally excited but at the time i was i was happy but inside i was happy and trying not to get too excited about it well let's talk can you tell uh tell my listeners and uh, viewers uh however, sure. you're absorb however you're absorbing this today um tell tell them about the project 
Sure. I, mean, I know the story, but I mean, maybe you could just give a little summary. Sure. Um, well, um, this version of Madoff, the Monster of Wall Street is a docuseries. It's a four-part docuseries that's on Netflix. And um, this version is one in which, in a documentary form, in which uh, some of the um, real people that made contact with Bernie Madoff uh, are being interviewed. And it's being interspersed uh, in the film with uh, reenactments. So I'm actually a, a reenactor. Uh, there isn't any dialogue, that, and I don't believe that takes away from any of the skill that we needed to convey the character because we are on screen quite a bit. Um, and it, it's it's done in a, a fascinating way. Um, it's um, the content of it really delves into why Bernie Madoff would choose to uh, keep the money and not invest the money. Uh, uh, which, of course, ended in complete disaster financially. But he was able to get away with it. And how was he able to get away with it for so many years is what the docuseries is about. What what would make him uh, want to uh, hold on to the money? What would keep him successful? What, um, what details happened uh, in, in his story to make it actually work for 20 years? And um, it's just done in such a gripping uh, uh, way that, you know, um, I think a lot of people that I've talked to have been captivated by it. When when my wife and I sat and watched it um, and we watched it straight out, it came out on the 4th and we were there at eight o'clock in the morning watching all four episodes straight in a row. It was really amazing to watch. Sure. Now he's the for for uh, anybody who doesn't know. All right, he he's probably the perpetrator of uh, the biggest, I'd say, Ponzi scheme uh, in that I can think of. Uh, so I want to say in in history, but uh, I may be wrong. But it's it's the biggest scandal in that you know, of that of that type that I can think of. Yeah, I I think he is historically the the largest uh, criminal in that area that's that's ever existed yeah right so i mean and there's and there's it's debatable like how, how did it happen for so long um i think there's an element you know of you know trust that went into it i think the people that dealt with him trusted him to such a degree uh that uh, you know even even when the signs were there uh nobody saw them <laughs> right i mean like other other yeah. Financial experts were probably, you know, recommending people still to to him for this. And uh, even though the signs were there and they probably should have picked up on it, they don't actually ever yeah. fall a spade a spade, right? They, they're just kind of sucked in. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing, I guess, the element of what you don't want to see. Like if you already have trust for a person, right? yeah. for a person, you look right past the what is the, the the neon sign above their above their head as to you know what are the facts right there in front of you, which I think is interesting in and of itself. Uh, so talk about the first day on set. What's that like? What's the atmosphere? Yeah, yeah, you, you make some very good points. I mean, it, it was amazing how he actually uh, pulled it off, and how you know certain groups didn't. Uh, uh kind of overlooked at the sec and and that's the part that really is is um is 
amazing, you know, that that happened. Um, the first day on set was, um, God bless, was, um, um, I'm trying to think of, of, of what was going on. Um, well, we, we shot it in Jersey City and um, we arrived around nine o'clock. I arrived around nine o'clock and it was in a huge uh, studio, a huge, huge warehouse and absolutely enormous. And uh, this was in Jersey City. And uh, there was, uh, we had to get COVID tested. Um, so that took, that procedure took about, uh, about 45 minutes. And uh, we were all in what looked like a cafeteria. You know, there, were, there was, again, it was a huge warehouse, but it was partitioned off uh, into different uh, sections. One section was the actual built uh, um, reconstructed room to imitate um, the bullpen, so to speak, or the stockbroker's room that Bernie Madoff worked in, which was in the lipstick building. And that was in another section of the warehouse. We were in the waiting area, which kind of looked like a cafeteria. And they had, uh, it's always nice for an actor and they had a nice spread of food for us for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's always an interesting part of it you know oh they have breakfast for it you know i brought i brought my my shake because i'm uh, i try to observe my diet uh but it was nice to see that they had some scrambled eggs there had to throw that in and uh and then you know there were uh, a, a good number of people maybe about uh, 30 or 40 people in this cafeteria like setting and it was very exciting uh you know i didn't know who the leads were uh, I had met one of the guys that was playing my nephew, and he's a real, uh, really friendly guy who, who does movie reviews, and we were talking about movies, and um, I didn't meet Bernie yet. I had, think I had taken a picture with Bernie during the costume fitting another day, but I hadn't met him. So, the actor. <laughs> the act, yeah, yeah. The, I'm sorry, the actor, yes, Joe Scotto. Uh, so I was, you know, just talking to a lot of the um extras who were, who were playing stockbrokers and uh some of the staff people and eventually i got to meet uh bernie uh joe who's played by joe scotto and uh the two, my my two nephews and um the woman who plays his uh, secretary or administrative assistant whatever is politically correct um and it, it, we really hit them we really hit it off it just uh eventually we got to know each other and i think as part of the brilliance behind joe berlinger is he put people together somehow that really had a rapport with each other i mean the guy who plays bernie is actually in addition to being an actor he's a psychotherapist and of course i'm a former teacher so we uh you know a teacher and a psychotherapist we're not going to always get along but yeah i mean we're going to have some degree of understanding in humanity and we sat and we talked about psychotherapy because I've been in therapy myself and I, I find the process fascinating. And we were talking about that for a while. And um, and the other people that that I mentioned that were in the show, the leads, uh, they were also just very friendly, intelligent people. So we were off to a good start with uh, with the rapport that we had with each other. And then there was a lot of waiting around. You know, that's how it is for actors. You know, they're constructing the set. And once we get on the set, 
Oh my gosh, it's just um, remarkable, you know, how they created the illusion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's it's an amazing project. Uh, I mean, it was put together really well. I did check it out. Um, I, I thought I thought you did a great job. I, I thought that it was really well done. Um, yeah, and I mean, you get the opportunity to work with uh, Joe Berlinger. That had to be um, that had to be nice. <laughs> Oh, it was, it was amazing. You know, I, it's funny. I, I didn't know, I don't really watch that many documentaries, uh, but my nephew, the guy who plays my nephew came up to me and he said, we're working with an Oscar nominee. And I said, what? I'm not only in this show, I'm not only going to be on Netflix, but I'm working with an Oscar nominee. And of course, since then I've seen his work on, on Dahmer and, and, um, uh, there was, there was another documentary that I watched. It was just incredible. Um, but Joe has um, didn't come out uh, as being uh, such a prominent figure because he did his homework in assembling this amazing group, this radical media group that he has, his production company, and everything was so blueprinted and beautifully organized that you're just walking into uh, a setting where you feel like you're the character you know the uh construction if you, you you know when you see it if you've seen it uh of the uh, uh of the bullpen and even your view out the window of the skyscrapers it looks like it's absolutely authentic uh, when in fact it it's just an illusion. It's just a, a background set, and uh, you know all the organization um, um, in uh, putting it together. Yeah, and just putting it together with his crew and his staff. You know, it was just already done. Uh, in working with Joe, uh, I can share with you a great experience that I had with him, which just really reflects how great he was. I can uh, give you an example of, of something um, that um, uh, all the leads were in one room looking at the monitor, you know, waiting for us. The, each of us were being called up individually into another room to work with Joe on something. We didn't know what it was. So, uh, for example, um, uh, Donna, who, who played the uh, administrative assistant, uh, went up, uh, it was, she was being called up and she walked into another room and we're watching on the monitor and we can't hear what she's saying, but she's, you know, she's answering questions and she looks great. And it was a little bit daunting because you knew that I knew that I was going to be going up there, but I had no idea what he was going to be asking me. And, you know, th there is an element of like, I know, you know, I better do this well, because eventually it's going to be seen by a lot of people. So, you know, watching her. And then finally I was called up. Oh no, before, even before I was called up, the guy who played my nephew was called up and he's, uh, he's playing uh, Andrew. And Andrew's the one who actually died of lymphoma. And, you know, of course, part of the element of fascination, fascination in the show is uh, how it destroyed the lives of his children when they found out that he was um, committing this terrible crime. Uh, 
so Andrew was there being interviewed and I'm watching him and he's got these, his eyes are welling up with tears. And I thought, this guy's such an amazing actor. I'm not going to be able to do that. And of course, I'm conflicted. I'm not really supposed to be doing that because Peter is a different kind of person. So it, it was just a mess. It was an emotional mess for me. So anyway, I'll try to make this a, make a, a long story shorter. But I'm called up there and I have no idea. And he says to me, uh, now that it's all over, Peter, and you know what Bernie has done, uh, what are you feeling? So that was the question. And again, there's a million emotions going through my head. Like, what what am I supposed to say? And um, I said, well, you know, you know, I define my life by who's my big brother. And I really am so upset that he destroyed everybody's life. And, you know, there was this feeling of just not having it together and being so upset. And when I finished, I, I got off and I walked out and I was so upset. I was just so upset. I, I screwed this up. I messed it up. I, I had no idea what to say. This is going to be seen by a lot of people. Oh my gosh, I feel like I feel horrible. And I even told a costume designer. She said, "Well, you got to get into the role." And she was like, "She's saying, you know, you, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, Chris." And, and I was upset. And it was the only time I was really upset throughout all the shoots, the ten day shoots. So I went home and I told my wife, and and then I realized, you know what? Um, he'll find a way of editing so that it's okay. And then I started to think, well, when I was in acting school, one of the things they teach you is that if you don't have it together, if you're not organized and you do something um, and you're, you're put off guard, then that can, that's really what you're supposed to be doing. That, I mean you're better off not organizing so much and just being put off guard so present, present in the moment to react yeah yeah so you know nine months passed and throughout that time i i, I got more comfortable with uh, that scene and how it was going to turn out and i thought he'll probably find a way and then um what you see is then I saw the, the show and what you see is the, in the last episode, the fourth episode, when you see that Peter um, is just you have a, there's a close up of him and they're um, reporting that, you know, he went to jail for 10 years and that uh, it's not exactly clear. It, he claimed that he didn't know anything about it. But by, by the, the end of the story, I mean, you realize that it was a struggle for Peter and that he was kind of bullied by, by, um, by Bernie. And again, um, I, I thought that it, it turned out fine because I wasn't in control. So that was, uh, Joe Berlinger put me in a position where I didn't know what was going to happen. He wanted me to react on the spot. And I think it turned out better for that reason. I don't know if I was- if Yeah, I the genius- the genius behind the filmmaker, right? He's a, uh, you know, he he's of course, like you said, uh, uh, Oscar nominated and uh, 
very well respected in the genre. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it had to be an amazing opportunity to get to work with him. Um, so tell me yeah. a little bit about your creative process. Sure. Right. So what is it like for you? I'm always fascinated by this question. I really try to focus a lot on creativity on the podcast uh, because I think, you know, that it takes a it takes a village truly to make a, any type of film. It's not the same as writing a book. Right. You write a book, you sit behind the computer, you, you you're it's it's a solitary uh, venture. Your you know, your thoughts are going from you to the paper. Uh, and every reader that comes after it certainly joins you in that journey. Uh, but it's really not the same as when this kind of a project's put together, uh, where there's, you know, the, the writers, the, uh, you know, the, the editors, the directors, the actors um, who take the paper version of the character and bring it to life. And, uh, and the, the, you know, the, the cinematographer kind of weaves you through the story and the editor who, you know, picks the best cuts. I just think there's there's a lot of hands in the process to make a project like this yeah. or, or any project. Um, so how do you prepare you, for your part of the creativity, right? You, you get you get something where you you know you know your parameters, uh, you know the paper version of a character, uh, and now you have to embody that. Is there is there a preparation or is there a process for you to make that happen? Um. I, I think um, that when there's dialogue involved, the preparation um, is for you to you know know your know your script really well, um, and um, I, I think what I've learned through training is uh, the less you think about you know your own self uh, and your past and you know your, your grandmother and how your parents influenced you, the better. That what I, what I've learned is uh, as you, know, you used the phrase before being in the moment, um, and just basically understanding your relationship with everyone. That that is um, probably for me the most effective way to come across in a real sense and be connected to what the project is. Um, so in this project, there wasn't any dialogue. And um, we uh, benefited from um, some excellent crew and on all levels with editing and, and, and cinematography and a, a great set. And those people provided us with a setting where we could feel more into the scene and the character and what was going on. Um, I think um that i mean to the extent do you do you uh i, I mean is there is there it, uh, like a process whereby you say i have these uh uh like the hockey players right they have a habit i mean no every day we go to the starbucks and like the, there's a routine that they follow uh or uh, you know, I'm in the shower and I'm thinking it over and then suddenly, you know, I know exactly the approach I'm going to take or how I'm going to, I mean, is there that, or are you truly a fly by the seat of your pants? I, I think, I, I think, uh, that, you know, acting, um, is, is, can be very difficult. And I think good training does prepare you. Um, I, I think that you, you learn things along the way that could be effective, like, um, you know, there's a scene, I mean, getting right to it, um, you know, th 
defining yourself by the relationship you have with that person, what you're feeling at that moment, uh, not trying to uh, use previous resources uh, or, or thoughts or plans that you had, but being absolutely in the moment. Um, I'm not Peter Madoff, I'm Chris Colicchio. And what is my relationship with Joe Scotto? Like there's a, a Joe Scotto is playing Bernie. Like we're, there's a scene where we're walking around and we're conversing and we're brothers. We've known each other our whole lives. And um, my approach with that was, um, this is about my relationship with Joe Scotto. What do I know about Joe Scotto right now that's going to really connect me with him? And I remember Joe Scotto had just told me that he liked Pat Benatar. And um, my reaction to him was, my thought was, let's put this in, in, in the Bernie Madoff, Peter Madoff setting where he wants to have a Christmas party for all his staff and he wants to invite Pat Benatar. And my reaction to him was, I don't think many people like Pat, Pat Benatar, that you have to be a, some people like her, some people don't, maybe we should get somebody that's more commonly known, you know, maybe like, but he, she's also going to be expensive and we have to con consider this in the budget. And I think that that's what Peter would have done in a, a you know, a setting of a Christmas party. And that and that seemed to work very well. You know, we're walking around. And if you, you see the, the show, you'll see us walking around and we're talking. And a lot of people asked me what I was talking about. And it was just about my relationship with Joe and what was going on at the, at, on the moment, not anything I had previously planned. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of teachers will talk about defining yourself by what your character is giving you. So I, I would work off of what Joe was giving me. This was my my relationship with him, not about Bernie Madoff. But I, I did get the situation in there, you know, about, you know, made up this situation about this Christmas party. And I think that that seemed to work very well. And that that that's part of what works very well. And actually, it was easier to do that without the dialogue because I was creating dialogue. And when you're using dialogue, then you have to um not make it too much about the dialogue i mean you could have a sad uh, you could be talking about something sad and still feel like you're you know you're happy inside you know you could be something about happy but you could feel sad inside it all depends upon what you're feeling so you don't base too much of your acting on the text is what i found is effective and there's so many ways to convey uh, i think emotion in in that world uh, right. There's so many nuances to conveying uh, the essence of a character uh, beyond the dialogue or beyond the words. Uh, probably some of the best scenes, you know, we've ever seen uh, convey it with a look or a glance or a tear. Um, so I, I think I do agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, and you've done some. I mean, I have to ask this. I know you, you were standing, I think, for Michael J. Fox on. Uh, yes. On the recent. Yeah. Yeah. That so, was really interesting. So, what was it like to be on that set? And did you get to meet Michael J. Fox? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. It was. It was. Um, it, it was a wonderful experience. Um, it was a three-day shoot uh, on the Upper East Side, and they. Um, it, it it's a, a documentary about his life. It's called Still, and it's coming out this year on Apple. 
yeah michael shows up and he's there and i'm actually the first person he says hello to i might have been the only person he didn't know so he said hi to me and uh that was really cool um uh and um we were in a lot of different settings well i have one story we were uh, um the next day we were um on the, in his actual apartment um well he has an apartment in this this high rise um um with his wife i met his wife tracy and that was really nice and um um it, he he also there's a, there's a gym on the first floor a uh, little little uh workout area and um i was working with his trainer um and um preparing for the scene that the trainer his trainer was going to have with michael and he asked me to um do some different exercises and while i was doing the exercises i figured what it was maybe throwing a ball back and forth or something and he, he was asking me different kinds of questions the trainer was like you know name all the beetle albums because this is what michael michael's a big beetle fan and um you know um uh, how did the knicks do last night and my answer was i have no idea because I didn't know where he was going with that. He said, well, you should know you were at the Knicks game last night with Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> and he was. <laughs> I, I looked it up on, online, and he was actually there last night, with, with the night before with Dustin Hoffman. So I thought, wow, that's my connection with Dustin Hoffman, because I'm such a huge uh, fan of his. And um, that was interesting. You know, just putting my... my um, getting into the shoes of Michael J. Fox and meeting him... And and seeing the tremendous challenges that, that Michael has, I mean, he, he really is struggling and he's got this terrific optimistic attitude that is so inspirational. I mean, he's taking guitar lessons and he was doing, he was working out at the gym and, uh, you know, what a wonderful experience to see, you know, put my 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 feet in his shoes and, and, and see the challenges that he had and that he's got a, a great attitude at, at at facing, you know, this difficult uh, situation he's in. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I've, I think I've read pretty much all of his books, uh, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, I, as I mentioned this on the podcast before I was, uh, Sharon Gless was on, right. And, and I was talking yeah. about the fact that, uh, that I love intelligent writing and I felt when I, I read Michael J. Fox's books, I think like his humor and his intelligence really do shine through. Um, you know, through the, uh, through what he writes. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And I mean, I like that a lot. And I, and I think that it's true what you're saying. The, I mean, the optimism comes, comes, you know, shining through uh, his story because whereas most people would have become discouraged uh, and I'm sure, you know, honestly, I'm sure that there were moments that he, he was discouraged uh, but he, he never lets that uh, pull him too far, you know, down, uh, you know, right? He, he, he gets back up, right? Which is, I think, the mantra for all of us, you know, no matter what happens in life, the most important thing is that, you, you know, you dust yourself off and get back up. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's pretty key lesson from his story. Uh, but I thought that had to be a really uh, great opportunity to get to spend some time, you know, with him. 
uh, in that setting. So I thought, well, this is pretty cool. I wonder what that was like. I, I mean, yeah. I, I would have been, been pretty excited, I think, to get to even meet him because I'm, I'm a longtime fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, that's one of those projects that, you know, was um, a heads up for me, a lesson to just be grateful and appreciate what you have. Um, and uh, when you lose it, to just keep appreciating your life and hold on to whatever you're given and just um, and be grateful for it. I, I know that that word grateful comes up a lot. Now I'm, I work at meditation and they always, you know, I do this calm app every day and they talk about like every other day, they're talking about gratefulness and, and, and being appreciative. And it, it's a tool I didn't know about until about uh, I guess two years ago and it really is a key thing in in um I think um emotional fulfillment and just you know appreciating uh, just being happy is to to be grateful and that that was an opportunity to um to feel that very cool yeah so tell me what are you going to be working on next well um that's that's the question. Uh, I um, am working at. I, I have an audition for another docudrama. I tend to do these silent docudrama things. Uh, I'm non-union, so I'm more likely. A lot of these docudramas, reenactments without music or without dialogue, um, are available for non-union people. And um, so you sort of found your niche. Right. That's yeah. the, from 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 theater, uh, you know, to, to moving more towards these docudramas. I mean, what what's I've heard uh, that the difference, you know, for most theater actors is they feed off the energy of the audience uh, and then transitioning to film uh, can be daunting. Uh, if that's how you get, you know, the, you know if the, the, the energy of the audience is really what propels you forward. Um, how was that transition for you? I mean, was it no problem at all? Or did you feel that missing, you know, that that energy? That's that's a very good question. That's a very good question. Um, you know, um, I, I really don't think about it too much. I, I, um, I, I think in theater... Like when I was doing Little Shop of Horrors, you know, there's a lot of music and a lot of dialogue and, you know, you come home and, you know, that's, that's, that's a good part of the work, just, just the preparation. And then you go in there and you go to rehearsals and that's, you know, you try to get it right. And then you're in front of an audience and you do it and you know you never know when the laughs are coming up you never know you know when when you're what you're going to be feeling at the moment um and th there's some highs and lows in theater and then you know in, in the experience of doing work in front of the camera you, you do the same thing you prepare and then you go in front of the camera and uh you know it's all in one day as opposed to being a four or five week rehearsal so, you know, you have to react, you have to be prepared for, with your dialogue. And, you know, uh, for me, it's not a problem. I, I don't really have a problem with 
being in front of, uh, sometimes it's been daunting, but most of the time, you know, I'm well prepared enough so that I go in front of people and I'm prepared with the dialogue and there's a certain electricity I get from that, but it's a shorter period of time. And um, as far as the reaction, for example, when we did uh, one, 101 indecisions, that, that was an- 100, 100 indecisions, yeah. 100, yeah, which I thought was a brilliant story that you wrote. I really I'm, we're, haven't been talking about that, but I, I really love family drama and I, I love preparing for that. Um, it was it's so interesting is to be engaged in a story, uh, be engaged in a family story where we're, um, there's a, a severe family conflict going on and, you know, being the head of the family and, and trying to, to work things out and negotiate things so that the family can stay together. I, I think that that's, I don't think it gets any better than that. So it was such a thrill doing that. You did a beautiful job on that. Uh, I, Ordinary People is one of my favorite stories. And when we did that, um, uh, in the house there where, uh, where we, we did the scene, we're sitting around the table um, and uh, we actually, we actually ad libbed some of it and some of it was from the original dialogue and there was just this energy and electricity. And I felt it was one of, it was one of my favorite moments really out of all the things I've, I just really loved the context of the story and the setting. Uh, Oh, I agree with you. And I think that was the first, that was the time when I think everybody's jaw somewhat dropped because you were filming that scene and you're right. There were parts of it that stuck to the script. There were parts of it that was ad-libbed, but that came from being so present in the moment. Uh, your team of actors that were around yeah. you doing that scene, uh, it felt incredibly real. And Rob I, Apple. Yeah. yeah I just think, sure. Rob Apple and uh, Anthony Crescenzo. Yeah. Uh, uh kelly ray yeah. uh right and it just it just like, pushed you oh anna i can't remember anna's last name yeah <laughs> yeah and everybody was stellar and the script was so great and the story and i just felt like once it was over we i said we we did it we did it <laughs> and, and it, it didn't matter if there was a hundred people there if it was just the cameraman and you and it was just it just worked. So for me, uh, to answer your question, just going back, you know, whether I'm in uh, doing stage work where we practice for four weeks or whether we just go on for a moment like that, um, it could be equally, equally rewarding because it's all about what you're feeling. So it, I think it really worked well. Sure. Yeah. You know, Michael Caine will talk about, you know, how you just... I don't know. What does Michael Caine say? I forget, but he's a film actor, but there, he said there's certain techniques you want to use to try not to be so pronounced in your expressions, but I'm not sure I really agree with that. I think if you're feeling it, you're feeling it, and it doesn't matter if you're on stage or if you're on film. Though what am I, what am I compared to Michael Caine's experience? I don't know. It's just my point of view, you know, about um, what, what works in theater and film. Well, Chris, it was great to get to spend a little time with you again. Uh, I, I, I did watch uh, the, the Netflix uh, Madoff project. It's it's really well done. Uh, and I thought you did a good job with it. 
Um, wow. I'll, put the, I'll put the link up. Or I'll make sure they put the link up, uh, you know, with your interview because everyone should check it out. It's definitely a worthwhile project. Uh, tell tell uh, everyone how they can get more information about you. Oh, well, you can go to my, thank you for asking that. Um, you can go to my website, chriscolacchio.com, and it's got, uh, and if there's any agents and managers out there, I'm, I'm looking. Um, it, it's got a lot of reels and photographs and uh, photographs of my, um, of, of different commercials and things that I've been involved in. And I, I do impressions. I also do stand-up comedy and I, I'm a musician. So there's a lot of different things that I do on the website uh, that I hope that all of you out there or some of you will appreciate. And thanks for asking. Thanks for having me on the show. I This is my first interview and you were very easy to talk to. You asked some great questions and I, I felt uh, comfortable talking to you. So thanks. Good. Well, it was good to visit with you again, right? Because I haven't seen you in a very long time. Yeah, nice to see you too. Okay. Well, I'm going to close the podcast and say uh, thank you for uh, watching or listening or however you absorb uh, the show. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed, please do subscribe. And uh, we're going to say goodbye from uh, love the from show, the by the way. I listened to Barry Livingston last night. I love that whole, I listened to the entire podcast. It was wonderful. It was great to hear you and, and talk to him. So thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.